Hello, I'm Sean. I'm an academic. And I'm Drew, a theatre director and choreographer. We know it sounds like the beginning of a bad joke. An academic and a choreographer walk into a bar. Yes, sounds like the beginning of the worst joke ever. But our unlikely friendship was born from a shared passion. We believe that theatre is the art of collaboration. And that can be hard with many confusing titles and departments. Yes, we have to not only understand what people do, but why they do it. And that's why we made the theatre blueprint. Each episode, I speak to a leading artist in their field. And shed light on the inner working of their department. There's so much to find out, so let's roll up our sleeves, put on our safety goggles, and start digging. You're really committed to this building metaphor, aren't you? Yes. Yes, I am. Let's get on with the show. Today's episode is quite a special one, as I get to turn the focus around and interview my co-host extraordinaire, Sean Prime. I thought it could be such a missed opportunity for our listeners to gallop through this podcast and never get to fully understand the magic that Sean weaves. So, Sean, could you kick us off with telling us what it is that you do when not co-hosting a podcast and how your role at Goldsmiths Uni and beyond fits into the making of theatre? So I am a, an academic. I'm not an academic of theatre. I am an academic of a thing that... Uh, it's only recently existed, I would say, so for the last 15 years or so. Um, I'm an academic that researches and teaches cultural and creative entrepreneurship, by which we mean, I think, or today it means, uh, thinking about the commercialization of self, arts, culture, and sometimes communities. And in terms of relating it directly to theatre, I work with a lot of um, actors, writers, directors, producers, and help them to come up with sustainable business models, but also not just with the business, sustainable ways of working. Because thinking about theatre, relationship of self to work is really crucial. And that's where I think being in a university is such a privilege because it gives you space to explore that rather than just get on with the making and doing. So I hope that my role, um, both within universities and outside, is to support people in, in performing arts to have a healthier, less fragile way of being in the industry. And I have to say on a personal level, that that is absolutely what you you've done for me. And what's been so interesting is that you know, we started our working relationship and I think the word kind of entrepreneurial, uh, you know, feels like a world that, that up until our relationship felt so far away from me. You know, it felt like it was something that I didn't understand. It was a it was a club that I wasn't part of. And what you've done so brilliantly is, is helped me understand um, the way that my brain works and how that can be used to, you know, as you say, move towards you know, less fragile working environment, both for myself and for, for my business, you know, for, for me as a business. Because that, that is, you know, so much of what we're listening to on this podcast is how people, you know, as artists, they are their own companies, you know, and, and how that moves forward. And it's, it's been a really fascinating process. So could you let us in on what, like, your day-to-day life is like in terms of, like, if somebody was interested in, in kind of becoming an academic in the route that you, so you're kind of trailblazing, what, what, is, what is a day in the life of Sean Prime? Obviously, all of us, our days have disrupt, been disrupted by the pandemic. So it's shifted quite a lot. And um, if you could see me now, which obviously is musical theatre, you would see behind me um, a whole load of books. And I think 
I think I had the perception that uh, as an academic, I would be sitting somewhere really quiet, really thinking deep thoughts, reading other people's deep thoughts, making the occasional note in a beautiful journal. And at the end of the day, I would start typing up an incredible paper that helped people understand and admire and recontextualize the arts. In reality, <laughs> my day is much more interesting and powerful than that, I think, um, I hope. So my day is normally spending quite a lot of time with students, helping them to uh, be honest about their ambition, helping them to admit how big their thinking could go, and then working with them to find systems, structures and tools that articulate those and help them move forward into to taking their practice into that, that sustainable framework. I think the performing arts has a massive tradition of project by project. And the research part of my job has been around looking at people, and of course you're one of them, Drew, and seeing how you can move to that healthier way of working where it isn't boom and bust. So I work with people as my research. So my students are part of my research, people I mentor in the arts are part of my research, listening, talking with them, offering them tools and approaches. And that's a large part of, of my day in individuals and group work. Then I have the, the pleasure of, of searching through my books, trying to find relevant readings, resources that help people feel that they're not alone. And I think also, I hope, uh, take people forward in their thinking um, and believe that change is possible for them. So it's, I'm an odd academic because I think my work, I see my work as being a change agent. And I've often talked about myself as being a producer academic. Um, and I don't produce shows. I hopefully produce uh, more confident, articulate, ambitious performing artists. When going into the arts, it's so much about developing one's own voice and inspiration and ideas. And I always think that it's such a complicated relationship between you know, student and teacher or mentor and mentee in that about how much of your own life experience as a teacher you allow to um, imprint on the person, you know, in terms of, and, and I think, you know, I can only speak, I don't know, obviously you have a, a background in dance as well, Sean, that like when we start off being trained in dance, that there's very, very specific um, kind of, uh, parameters set out that you're trying to achieve and then as you get older you realize that really what you're striving for is is freedom of expression through those parameters and do you find that hard when um talking to young creatives or early career creatives or any any creatives um to separate your own kind of opinions of work and uh and what they're trying to get uh, is that a complicated relationship it is and I always think I'm better at it than I am. And um, I think there are two strands in that. One is about self-management of myself and the other is about power and status. And I think performing arts education has had a kind of a master servant approach to education. And um, so you see the, the person you aspire to be, 
you have a teacher who tells you that they're the person that's going to help you to be that person. And nobody stands and says, but you can't be that person because that person has got their own body, their own context, their own background. You can be a version, a better version of that person through being yourself. And a lot of performing arts education in the past, and I know it's changing massively, but a lot of performing arts education has been based on a role model. And um, sometimes even um, you will get uh, quite a few people in universities who run their own companies, but also educate. So again, there's that complexity sometimes for students of, if I behave well, if I do what they want, then I might get a gig. I might get that first piece of work or they might refer me to their friend. I really feel that as somebody who has worked in education in informal and informal sectors, it's so important for, for me and others in my roles to be mindful that we hold a lot of power, even if we don't want to. Unwittingly, we hold it. So I think there's a, a, there's a huge thing that has to happen and has to continue to happen where we break down those models of status. And you and I have talked about this, and I think it would, I think I have a similar way of being in a, in a lecture theatre as you do in a rehearsal room, of acting the fool a bit. It's important for me to make the space safe for education, and I mean that in terms of inclusivity and diverse voices and showing examples where the perfect performer is not the perfect performer that we held up 10 years ago, five years ago, 30 years ago, even two years ago. The perfect performer is the person in front of me who has to own that space. For me, that whole process of education has to shift and we have to reassure people at the beginning of their journey that the privilege that I and others have of being at the front of the room is something that um, I'm only too ready to let go of. And the only reason that I am at the front of the room is that I have stories that might help them get to the front of the room. I think what you're touching on there about the kind of inherent power with being the leader of the room is, is, is so important to pick apart because, you know, I, I think about my training um, and how so much, like, power was put on the teacher who was able to demonstrate the dance moves the best and how our respect as young dancers like instantly went to that because they had great feet or they could do amazing jumps and stuff but actually quite a few years later you look and actually the, the teachers that impacted you the most were actually those that gave you a kind of an emotional understanding of the material rather than those who could demonstrate the material and actually you come to realize that a person within an educational role it's a very particular skill, like it, and, and it isn't it isn't the same as having the skill of the thing that that person's trying to become themselves. You, those, those, those two things are separated, and the kind of um, use and sometimes abuse of power within those roles is is often quite misplaced in terms of how that is kind of operated in educational environments. So I think the other danger in educational models has been, and I I know it to be shifting, but not as fast as I would like, is that relationship between um, what is seen as success and who is good and that being recreated in education is also what stops diversity and inclusion moving forward. So uh, two things about it, I think. One is that sometimes people who choose to become an educator are seen as 
not having made it as um, taking the second best option or, or all sorts of things. I think that in terms of status within the industry, there are issues about whether being a lecturer or being an educator is a good thing. And I think it's, I think it's such a, an honor to be it. So for me, it's super high status, which is why I have to be careful of it. The other thing is that, yes, growing up too, um, yeah, I looked at performers, I looked at, my mother was a ballet teacher and she had beautiful feet and uh, a tiny, tiny waist. And that for me was perfection. So if you don't have that, then I can't be, I can't be a performer. And so those edits that unconsciously sometimes come from, you see the teacher as the mirror and actually it's really not. Um, and that for me is when I look at performing arts and, and the changes that are beginning to happen, there still aren't enough people who are teaching, who are people of colour, who are queer, who are out and trans, all sorts of issues around that mean that, again, the hegemony of who rises to the top in performing arts still is replicated because of the mentors and tutors. Cultural entrepreneurship, I think, can sometimes have a, a, have a feeling they kind of get, oh, that's not me, that's kind of something that's far away from me. And, and you're doing such brilliant work to break down those boundaries. What, why is it important for people to start thinking about that when it comes to their creative practice? The word entrepreneurship is a word that a lot of creative people are, that is just not me, I am not an entrepreneur. And yet, it seems to me that people who've worked in theatre have always and are the best entrepreneurs because you're always making your own way the awful truth about having to make your own opportunities but also having to look at your resources that you have available and make them work too hard for you so for me it's important to embed it with creative practice teaching so that when people step out from academia or vocational training or whatever support they've had there is some confidence that they can navigate that path, that they don't feel um, that, that, that the industry, the theatre industry is, is a course structured in a very particular way. But I hope that by introducing people to ideas of being an entrepreneur, they can navigate that a little bit more for themselves rather than just feel bound by structures and feel a bit more in control too of the day-to-day -day things that as um, an independent freelance or self-employed person you're going to have to do. So having had the notion that you're going to have to pay tax introduced to you as part of your training is boring but really important. But also just understanding yourself as somebody who can work and create more opportunities, that's really important. What was your journey to, to becoming the, the practitioner you are now? So thank you for calling me a practitioner. That's uh, something really important to me. And I took an unusual route into being a university academic. Most academics are, are very vocational in the way that most people in theatre are. So they will have um, done really well at school or particularly well in one or two subjects at school. Will have It wouldn't have crossed their minds that they weren't going to go to university. They'd have done an undergraduate, got a first, probably done a postgraduate master's program, got a distinction, 
then they would have found funding or be lucky enough to be from a family that has money for them to do a PhD. In that PhD, they might be asked to do some lectures and some seminars and some teaching. So they learn on the job, which is similar, I guess, to, to theatre sometimes. Learn on the job. You hope there's an opening. You get that job. It's as competitive, I think, to become an academic with a contract as it is to get a job as a performer. I, however, didn't take that route. Um, and I think I think this is really important because I think creative entrepreneurship is often about finding different ways to do things and uh, particularly the subject of that. So that's the subject I teach. And I think identifying with being an entrepreneur when you're a performer, when you're, when you're a director, when you're in the arts is complex. Um, so I came from, I love it because my university colleagues always said that I came from industry. And for me, that, that either means that I was on stage or it means I was in a factory and I can never quite square either of those things. You're in the, you're in the opening of Les Mis, yeah. <laughs> Don't you know it? <laughs> um, and so I came, so I, I, ha I started off as a producer. I worked as a funder for the Arts Council. I worked as a funder at Nesta. I co-developed... Um, a program that is still available to download online on creative entrepreneurship for Nesta. I set up, and this is perhaps my my proudest boast, I set up a, an organization in Glasgow called the Cultural Enterprise Office. And that was Scotland being incredibly forward thinking and realizing that they created and supported some of the most extraordinary and still do, of course, uh, creative talent. So Glasgow has a range of conservatoires, universities, schools of art. It creates so much cultural talent. And yet people were graduating. It had been city of culture. People were graduating and leaving to go to London. So they set up this thing called the Cultural Enterprise Office, which or I set it up for them. And that was my first experience really of connecting to universities and to vocational schools, to um, Scottish Ballet, Scottish uh, Theatre was being, the National Theatre of Scotland was being founded then. Opportunity for me to see where, if I'm honest, where training and education was failing. So I took all of that practice of trying to solve the problem and support creative practitioners. And I turned it into research, I turned it into an MA and I became an academic. So my journey into becoming an academic was working in industry, getting a bit cross, feeling like I wasn't making enough of a difference. So coming into academia to try and change it. And that's also why I run a very much of a practice-based course. So yeah, so I'm one of the rare people who learned through the job and has converted it into academic practice. It's amazing. Um, what do you think the hardest thing about your job is? I'm, I'm pausing and shaking my head because I can moan for hours about how hard my job is. But really, honestly, I'm so privileged. Nothing is really that hard about it at all. Uh, I work long hours, but I think I would work long hours wherever I worked because I'm fortunate enough to work around my passion. 
So nothing is really that hard at all. Uh, the hardest thing is, and I think this again relates across to theatre very directly, the hardest thing is sometimes I get it wrong and my materials are people. So if I get it wrong, I get it wrong with somebody's creative potential, with their sometimes the impact on their fragility. And that's the hardest thing about my job is holding other people's potential lightly. Um, yeah, there's nothing that difficult about my job. Finally, to send us off, what would you say your, your favourite thing about your job is? Favourite thing about my job is that every single day somebody lets me in to their secret professional desires. So every single day somebody will be talking and then they'll say, but honestly, what I really think I could be doing, what I think I should be doing or what somebody should be doing. So every day somebody lets me hear what they really want to achieve and they let me help them do that. So that's the best thing about my job. And that's that's why I have to be so careful about saying anything is hard. The other thing is I get paid monthly. And as somebody who's had her own business, to be honest with you, it's a beautiful surprise every single month still. And um, so I'm also really lucky that I am not part of the precariat that the majority of people you've been speaking to are, where if there's a bad month, where if a gig falls through, if they don't get funding, I'm in a really fortunate position where I'm, I've been relieved of that pressure for a number of years. I'm so grateful for that. Well, look, I think, you know, your passion and your generosity of spirit just, you know, comes through so much in what you're speaking. And I can kind of, I can, I can state very clearly that your, your generosity to me over the years has been kind of so appreciated. And that's not just in the conversations we've had about the forward momentum of theatre, but also in discussing the work of mine that you've seen and, and having that kind of um, communication is so, you know, important and special. So, so I just want to say thank you. I know you're incredibly busy, so I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. And I think on a greater uh, statement, thank you again for helping me make this podcast a reality. So thank you for your time, Sean. Thank you for having me as part of it. As you know, this interview is completely turned on its head and I thought it would be a, a great opportunity to now use this part of the episode to be able to talk to somebody who has a close working relationship with Sean and to really hear what their experience of working with somebody like Sean is. So I'm thrilled to be able to welcome to the podcast Rosie Neve to talk about your experience. So welcome to the Blueprint podcast, Rosie. Thank you, Drew. Could you start off with telling us a little bit about yourself, what it is that you do, and um, what impact and what, what is your relationship with Sean, and, and how has your working relationship impacted both your sort of training and your future trajectory? I first met Sean when I was doing the MA in Cultural and Creative Entrepreneurship at Goldsmiths um, a few years ago, and she ran the course, uh, and she was also my tutor. So we had a sort of developed a close relationship then. I come from working in a theatre background, not as a, an actor or a dancer or anything, but I've worked in communications and fundraising for various performing arts organisations over the past kind of 15 years. Um, but I started doing the MA because I wanted to, to transition away from that and look at kind of a new type of career 
that I could see kind of taking me forward to the next 20 years. So Sean has been enabling me to kind of work forwards to, towards getting towards a new career, finished the MA, and I'm now um, an entrepreneur in residence as part of the Institute of Creative and Cultural Entrepreneurship at Goldsmiths. And so in that role, Sean's continued being a mentor for me. It's amazing, isn't it? Because I think we think about people that work within the education system and people that are um, helping people find what it is about themselves. And um, we, we sort of like think about that as people that are like right at the beginning of an adventure. And what is so fascinating to hear you talk is you've had many adventures and that actually like there's, you know, that you've achieved so much in your, in your career and you've worked with many huge organizations and with some amazing people. And I just think it's so thrilling to think that that relationship, that, that mentorship, that guidance can come to somebody at any point in their, in their career and can help find new pathways and, and, and get, get to fully understand what it is to be, uh, you know, an entrepreneur. Um, and so your, your relationship started off as a, in a sort of kind of, uh, sorry to, make this really sort of simple but sort of like you know teacher student sort of relationship yeah, absolutely yeah and that has sort of blossomed into this kind of mentorship and I love the idea that you can continue to grow and uh, and develop sort of at any point in your life because I, I remember that saying um <laughs> this sounds very very bleak that the moment you stop learning is the moment you start dying and I think that's that's <laughs> sort of so true absolutely and I think that what Sean has enabled me to do is not disregard all the experience that I've got until this point, but she kind of makes me see it from a different perspective. So it's something that enriches the things that I want to achieve now. She kind of builds on everything that I've already done. And then she enables me to see it in a new way that I can take forward and use in a different way. I love that. I think it is about you're being shown things about yourself that were always there, but given tools to be able to Use them yeah, in a and way. Abs- absolutely. And I think what Sean is absolutely brilliant at, and I've never really met anyone quite like her who can do that, is kind of reflect yourself back to you in a way that you've never really noticed before. So I kind of came in with like, oh, I've got all this like PR experience and marketing experience, and I've worked with dancers and stuff. But she was like, well, that's all really valid, but kind of what makes you really good at that? And she kind of enables you to sort of really do an honest appraisal of yourself in a very gentle kind of safe way to kind of really focus on the things that you have got that you can take forward and yeah I don't think anyone has ever really done it in the same way that Sean has been able to with me. My experience of Sean too is that again I think we think about learning about um, learning the things you don't know whereas actually Sean's really good at making you realize how much you already know. Absolutely yeah she really does and I think she creates a really safe space for you to kind of investigate that and interrogate it and um, kind of confront it sometimes. Um, like we used to laugh because every time I had a tutorial with Sean, I would end up in tears in her room. And it wasn't kind of because I was sad or I was like scared or anything, but it was just, I just felt so kind of able to talk about what I wanted to achieve and where I wanted to go and what I was thinking about in a very nurtured kind of supported way um and I really appreciated that like it it felt like such a luxury that someone was there to kind of listen and care and sort of quite forcefully sometimes nudge you in the right direction for me coming from a dance background very often our training is based on um, people telling you the things you don't have yeah and I think that like 
my experience of working with Sean and with other like great educators has been to encourage you to do more of the thing you can do. And I think that, you know, in yeah. the, in the I, I know definitely in the sort of creative arts, but I think this is relevant in all aspects of business, is that really what we're trying to, you know, we spend our entire training trying to be like everybody else, trying to fit in, trying to have legs like that person, a voice like that person. Yeah. And then you you come out the other end and you start to try and get work and you realise that, that what you're trying to do is prove that you're not like anybody else. And I think that, you know, good educators can make you hone in on the thing that is unique about you and learn how to sell that aspect, which makes you original and makes you successful. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. It's similar in a way when you're working in performance art, performing arts administration, as I've done, there is that sort of competition because people want those jobs. So you have to kind of prove that you are really good at your job all the time. And there is no room for mistakes or error or doubt or um, even any self-reflection, you've got to be like, right, this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. And we're going to do it. And it's going to be brilliant. And sometimes that's great. And you can get through on it. But sometimes it's really nice when someone like Sean comes along and she's like, have you thought about this? How about just trying something? And she gives you the confidence to try things that you sort of have an instinct might be good or might be appropriate but normally you wouldn't be given that space to do it. And that's something that I think is so powerful when you get to be able to really experiment with your instincts and then they work out as well. Yeah, that's or not. Like, truly like, thrilling. It doesn't matter if they don't work out because she's there and she can help you with the next thing. I found that, you know, Sean was helping me do some arts council applications and we were unsuccessful twice in a row and um and not big you know sharp was the most amazing help but it was just the fact of like you know when the negative uh answer came back it was like right okay we'll try something else we'll keep going like it was just that thing where it wasn't like a catastrophe (laughs) it was (laughs) one of the things i loved listening back to the episode was um the moment where sean says when she introduces herself and what her job title is she kind of says well today i am um, and I love this thing that like we're so used to thinking that we have to be very specifically something. And in talking to a lot of people on this podcast, you realize that even though everyone has a job title, when you actually unpick it, it's like, well, actually, it, it's the sort of, you know, your your experience, your your all the different facets of your ability come together into a, a job title that could be different from day to day. And I loved listening to that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what Sean is brilliant at is um enabling people to see that they aren't just a job title and actually you can be the sum of your skills and those skills can be very different and varied and straddle kind of different industries but they're still valid and she doesn't kind of pigeonhole you into kind of being one thing or another and she gives you the space to really understand the skills that you've got and how you might be able to transfer them in different areas. Another thing I've been listening to through talking to many different people on this podcast is this idea of communicating um, like with, with history and with the future and that each one of us carry with us this responsibility to pass on what we've learned and pass on what we know. And of course, that information is, is interpreted by students differently every time um, you have that conversation because, of course, it's their responsibility to make sense of the world for their own generation. But this passing on of knowledge, this thing that we've learned, the thing that we hold close to us and the idea of being able to give that to the next generation. 
I just wondered if there was anything for you, Rosie, that you'd um, kind of, you know, taken from your time with Sean as your mentor and as your teacher and things that you would like to, you know, feel like you could pass on um, to people that you work with. Well, I think I've been really lucky because during my career, I've had a couple of really amazing women who have really helped me at various kind of stages of it. And thinking about them, they all have one thing in common. And Sean has this like in absolute spades. And I think you mentioned it at the beginning. And that's a generosity um, of time and expertise and um, kind of wisdom. And I really would hope that I could go into a mentoring role with that generosity of spirit like Sean and like those other people that I mentioned have done. Sean has really taught me to be aware of the people that aren't there and to think about why they're not there and how can I help them to be there and I think that's she just leads by example with that and so I think that is the one real takeaway that I would take from Sean as long you know along with everything else like the the kindness and the listening and the empathy and the generosity it is thinking about those people that aren't there. I think it's really clear hearing you talk, Rosie, just how much of an impact people like Sean in those sort of, you know, um, roles that can unlock doors, open opportunities, make you see yourself, just how important those people are and how much of an impact they can have on us um, throughout our whole careers and our many careers, as you've proven, <laughs> you can have many careers. <laughs> um, and I think it, it's been really, really great listening to you you talk with such clarity and passion Rosie so thank you so much for taking the time to come and talk with us today oh thank you so much it's been an absolute pleasure each week I ask our guests the same question and this is my favorite bit I ask them what does theatre mean to you and why is it important theatre to me is a place I go to escape to relearn and to reimagine and to come out refreshed. You've been listening to a Scratch Post production made in collaboration with the Pony Company and Goldsmiths University of London. Music by Andre Rossi made available by upbeat.io. We'd love to hear from you and find out what you want to know about the theatre industry. You can interact with us at Blueprint Podcasts on Instagram and subscribe for our next episodes. <laughs>